0: Thanks for listening to JPulse.org. You can find this and other great talks on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching JPulse. Today's talk is Music and Spirituality by Rabbi Tzvi Gluckin. All right. All right. All right. A little bit of music just to get, since we're talking about music, might as well, you know? Anybody ever discuss spirituality and music before? What is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like a TED Talk. We're all very solid. Should I walk around the stage to all the moves? Anyway, so uh, music and spirituality is probably one of the deepest topics out there. People are into it. They talk about it all the time. And unfortunately, I, first of all, there's a ton of ideas. Most of them are illustrated deeply in my book, uh, Knee Deep in the Funk. But... Um, in all seriousness there's we could talk about the, just music music as a form of communication music as a universal language the relationship between music and relationships music and unity music and sex music and drugs I mean just everything on and so forth and uh, but we're going to focus our, our talk today really just for two topics we're going to speak about number 1 the relationship between music and intuition specifically the way we we relate to groove how we that's why I started with a little bit of a funky groove just cuz it's actually a very deep not just idea about how groove operates and how we connect to groove, but even on a deeper level, spiritually, what's going on in terms of groove, and then on a deeper level than that, how we can use our relationship to groove to transform our lives, have better experiences, get along with people, et cetera, and so forth. And if you can't, you'll at least hear some funky grooves. That's number one. Number two is this concept of music as a universal language, is really the ultimate in spirituality, the ultimate in global hippy-dippy niceties, everything. So I want to talk about really... The science of music, how music operates, how it functions, what's happening, what societies have done to make music work, and then ultimately how music is a, a tool that we can communicate no matter who we are, where we come from, what cultures we come from. Basically, that's the idea. You get it? Everybody with me? Capiche, Hervantem, Comprende, Panimayas, Rishtaste, we're all on the same page. Okay, good, Ken! All right, excellent. So we will start with talking about the idea of groove. Anybody here ever see the movie, The Jerk? By Steve Martin. What a great movie, huh? Of course. So in the beginning, if anybody doesn't know, so Steve Martin in the movie, he grows up. He's living in this home. He's different from everybody else in the uh, in the family, and um, the family's very into music and they're very musical, very rhythmic. And Steve, I, his uh, Naiven Johnson is the character's name in the movie. He doesn't get it. He can't connect to groove and like he's always tapping on the wrong beat and everything. Anyways, one night he's lying in his bed. He's all by himself. He's eating a Twinkie. All of a Shalom. <laughs> That's funny. He's eating a Twinkie and um, on the radio comes this song. I forget the name of the song now but it's probably the most bland white bread just I mean just as no nothing and he's lying there. And he's eating the Twinkie and the music's on the radio and he notices without even realizing it, his toes start tapping together and like He stops eating the Twinkie, and his toes are tapping together to the rhythm. And he's like, oh my goodness. And he gets out of bed, and he starts doing like these jerky moves, feeling the rhythm. And he wakes up his grandma, and he wakes up the whole family. And it's like a transformative moment in his life. And he decides, because then he's going to hitchhike to St. Louis. Unbelievable. Anyways. And we've all had these experiences where something happens, we hear music, subconsciously not even thinking about it, like the music takes over and you'll find yourself in a doctor's office or on a bus or in a club or in a concert hall or whatever it is, you're not really even thinking about it. All of a sudden you just start bopping and feeling the beat. Now, not everybody feels rhythm the same way and not everybody can be funky and not everybody understands all the different aspects of groove, but still there's a pulse that somehow takes over and we feel it. So where does this come from? That's the idea. So scientifically, we'll start with science first. Believe it or not, there's actually really geeky people in the world who study this. They have like their PhDs and like how music interacts in the brain. There are two books in the bestseller list within the last five years, really just dealing with this idea. So I'm quoting from a book called This Is Your Brain on Music. Anybody ever read it? It's okay. It's not great. It's okay. It's great. Great book. Great book. Anyway, so uh, in that book, he's studying the way groove, and it's it, it groove distinct from other aspects of music. So this is, I'll quote from him. It says like like this. Tell me if anybody anybody here into neuroscience? Any neuroscientists here? Oh really? Are oh, you not like a brain surgeon though? <laughs> All right, but Okay, but still, so you'll understand what I'm because I don't understand what I'm about to read. But he says like this: the emotional response to groove occurs via here ready the ear cerebellum nucleus Cuban's limbic circuit. That's how it works, and it works that way rather than the ear auditory cortex circuit. Far out, meaning that when we hear a groove, groove largely is part basically because of the brain areas that it stimulates. It's not something that's cognitive and intellectual, but rather it's pre or unconscious. Does that make sense? It's pre or unconscious, meaning, and the reason is because it works through the cerebellum, the cerebellum is opposed to the frontal lobes. Ooh, does that make sense? Did I pronounce all the words correctly? All right, far out. Anyway, so the point is, the point is that when you're relating to groove, it's you're not sitting there going, oh, wow, well, I hear this funky rhythm, so I guess I'll start tapping along. Like That's not what's happening. Somehow the music is interacting with your being, with your psyche, with your subconscious. You're not necessarily aware of it, but all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, baby, you're getting all funky and just like, you yeah, know, I just got a whole thing, you know? I guess if you go to a club, you bite the lower lip, right? <laughs> but whatever it is, you know what I'm saying. You just totally—I think I just blew my arm out. <laughs> so, why does this work? So that's scientifically, we could have geeky scientific discussions all day. You'd lose me after that paragraph. But whatever, we could talk about this stuff all day. However, on a mystical, spiritual level, there's something even deeper happening. That's what I want to speak about now. So, who here can ride a bike? Wow, everybody. Who remembers the first time they rode a bike? Rivka? How'd you do the first time you rode a bike? Um, My mom ran into a mailbox. (laughs) Oh, but at least you're moving. You're moving. Anybody else? Remember your first time on a bike? Yeah, Adam? Everybody Everybody rides into stuff. I fell over. I nearly died on the street next trip. I mean, you you did the same thing? Yeah, you fell over. Unbelievable. So basically what happens, for those who don't remember there, because it's probably about four, five, six, somewhere in that ballpark, I guess, when you first learn. So what happens is you go down to the backyard, not the backyard, to, I guess, to the park or to the cul-de-sac or someplace like a dead-end street. You go with your parents or some sadistic relative or whatever it is. And, they, and, and the whole walk while you're there, you're pushing the bike. You've already taken up the training wheels so you're a big kid now. And the whole walk, they're explaining the process, basically saying like, so what you have to do is you get on the bike and you have to balance. And uh, really, the way to really balance is you kind of have to feel the balance, you feel your weight, I guess, you feel the equilibrium, and you pedal. As long as you're pedaling, you're not going to fall off. Is that what happens? So what happens? You're not stupid. Even at six years old, you can understand, you can relate to this concept. So it makes sense. You intellectually grasp it. If you had a test on it, you'd get an A. You get on the bike, and immediately what happens? Boom. Or fence, or mailbox, or whatever it is. So why? How come, if if you got it, if you understood it, how come you, you fell over? Because even though you got it, you didn't get it. Dig? That's the idea. You have to, something has to click internally that gives you this feeling of like, whoa, you have to figure it out. And what happens once you figure out how to ride a bike? First of all, there's the cliche. Let's ride a bike. You never forget. But more than that, all those explanations that seem kind of like you got it, but you didn't really get it, now they all make sense. Of course, yeah, you got to balance, you have to feel that middle spot. Of course, And once you get it, you never forget it. Just like you, you grasp it, you get it. And riding bike's a pretty simple skill. Most people can do it. Just takes, you have to grasp it. Anybody here can juggle? Anybody here juggle? You start with two, right? You don't start with three. I started with chainsaws. <laughs> no, I didn't really. I can't juggle. I have my son. One of my children is actually really He's good at all this stuff. He can do like magic tricks and like, you know, shuffle decks with one hand and do all those different kind of things. So he learned how to juggle. And he was probably nine at the time, I guess, when he learned it. So I figured my kid could do it. I've always wanted to juggle. So he left his juggling balls lying around the house. They had him practice with lacrosse balls because they're real heavy. So I guess I figure. You, know, you learn the way, and then when you graduate to like ping, like, uh, to beanbags or whatever, I guess it's a lot easier. So I, th- I had a theory. My son had left him around the house. They were sitting there on my, on my kitchen table. I had all afternoon free. So I said, I'm going to figure this out. I was going to conquer juggling. So my theory was, I started with two balls. You throw up the first ball, and when that ball gets to that point where it changes direction, I guess it's called what's the crest? What do you call that? That point. Whatever it is, when it changes direction, so that's when you let go of the next ball. And so you throw up the first ball, it stops, and you throw up the next ball, and you catch the first ball and throw it up again. Well, basically, you get a whole circle going. I guess you have to have some kind of motion in your hand to make sure it all works. So that's what I figured. So I take the first ball, I throw it up, it gets to that point. I then throw up the next ball. I drop the first ball, and then I drop the second ball. Obviously because you know even though I understood it my theory was a good theory I hadn't I didn't really get it so I tried doing this one for about a half an hour my back was starting to hurt because I kept dropping balls and it was just it was a real disaster but after about a half an hour I noticed I would sometime catch one and then drop it or I catch two in a row I think I got up to about three or four what happened was after some consistent practice I realized that it wasn't it wasn't just about cognitively understanding, about intellectualizing it. It's about feeling that rhythm and getting it. I didn't practice the next day, so I, didn't, I can't juggle anymore. But had I kept up with it, I would have learned the skill, internalized it, I would have gotten it. That's, that's how, that's, that's what we, what do we call that? That's like intuition. That's like how these things work. It's something that's beyond your intellect. It's like a deeper thing. So music is the same thing. Music is the same thing. Anybody here ever play grooves or play funk or reggae or whatever? It's, of course, right? So let me tell I'll you, play, I'll play it for you here. I remember the first time I played reggae. Now I grew up in New Jersey. I like reggae, but like where I came from, we were listening to a lot of heavy metal all the time. So like, and Bad Brains weren't so big, brag Yeah. So I mean, Bad Brains came. I mean, they were has been out for years, but I discovered Bad Brains in college. I listened to Quickness all the time. Da 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 da. Anyway, so um, but I was I didn't really listen to it. So I was in this band. Is actually the band was really good. And um, I have to keep in mind also, I was, had been playing about 10 years at this point. I was a pretty good player. The band that I was playing with was working all the time. And this was like in the mid-80s, around, probably like 1980 or so, when uh, the Chili Peppers first really hit. The whole funk-punk thing was like really getting big. So we were doing like the whole funk-punk thing. And so the ballad was reggae. And reggae, for those who don't know, reggae is a very simple, the guitar part is very, very simple. Basically, the guitar takes the role of the snare drum. So in, in, in a regular rock and roll song, you'll hear one, two, three, four, and the snare drum will be on two and four. So it'll be like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, like that. So reggae, it's the same thing, except it's the guitar doing that and the drums doing all sorts of other weird kind of funky things. So I tried doing it, and it was basically, you know. (laughs) <laughs> it just didn't really work. I couldn't get the feel, so everybody made fun of me in the band. It was really kind of funny. Eventually, after like trying this and messing with this for a while and not being in the band anymore, um, I nailed the reggae groove, which is basically, you know, it's like this one. In other words, even though it's something that's easy for us to discuss, to actually get it and feel it, it's a whole other thing. I'll give you another example. Anybody can play a shuffle. So shuffle, basically you normally have an eighth note, which is like this kind of feel, an eighth note, da, 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 like that. So in a shuffle, what you do is you delay the second eighth note and over accentuate it. So it'd be like, so it's easy to describe, but somebody try clapping a shuffle. It's difficult to get, but when you get it, suddenly you're doing, you know, Yeah, we used to have a shove, we used to call it the Krev. It was named after Plumber's butt. But, anyways. But it's funky, right? You hear the exaggeration on there? how, how, how. Yeah. Anyways, that's the idea. That's, that's how a groove works. In other words, it's not just something that you articulate and discuss, but it's something that ultimately you have to feel. Funk is the same thing. If you ever listen to beginners playing funk, they always play the same groove. And you're like, ooh, that's funky, you know? I don't even think the Bee Gees did that, you know what I'm saying? But eventually, after you start figuring it out, you start learning there's a whole type of groove, you know? whatever all right so anyways that's the concept of groove in other words the point is that groove like anything it's something it's not just about Intellectually, we can sit and discuss the different types of eighth note feels and different type of rhythmic feels that happen. But ultimately groove, it's not just about a discussion, it's about ultimately feeling it. Okay, so here's the thing. This is really the deep point. So in order to really internalize and feel music, you have to have a distinction. This is where we get into Kabbalah. You get into Kabbalah, so basically we have to distinguish between intellect and intuition, and understand the distinction between intellect and intuition, ultimately is really the secret of the, uh, of the mystical depths of music, how it works, and how we interact and feel it. So, intellect is like this. It's actually, if anybody's really interested in looking up the source, this is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verse 13, where Moses is talking about gathering men of under, men of wisdom, men of understanding, and if you read the commentaries there, they explain in depth, really on a deep mystical level, what the words wisdom and understanding means. So the words in Hebrew, the Chachma and Bina. So Chachma, it's usually translated as wisdom, which is true, but in our context here, it really means intellect. And we can learn the concept from really the way it's it's described in the classical Jewish sources. Chachma, wisdom, intellect is described like this. You have a businessman, let's say. Beauty is my business. Anyways, we have a businessman. And so the businessman, he has his business. He does very well. He's a very conscientious and, and good businessmen and when he's working he's working hard but what happens when nobody shows up he hangs out in the office he plays solitary he watches a lot of videos on youtube in other words he's not self-motivated to go beyond the basics that's what intellect is intellect is just knowledge there's no depth to it it's just knowledge it's like these people who like watch Jeopardy and know all the answers. You ever meet these people? Anybody here like that? But I don't admit it if you are. Oh, you kind? I guess if you want to. But you watch Jeopardy, and all the answers. I know. I lived in I lived in New York for a few years, and this is back in the olden days when we used to take the subway and we used to buy these things called newspapers. You ever seen them? And you had to re- you get like black grease all over your hand for reading these newspapers. They even had special New York Times gloves for a while. Anyway, so. Uh, So I would buy the, I I was in Subway pretty much every day, so I would buy it on Monday. The crossword puzzle was really easy on Monday. And as the week went through, by Friday it was like a beast. By Sunday it was this massive crossword puzzle. Nobody could do it. I had friends who could fill out the Sunday crossword puzzle like they were filling out a form. They just had all this knowledge. But you know something? Some of them were good at other things. A lot of them weren't good at anything else. They possessed a lot of intellectual knowledge, a lot of information. But having all the information, it's good to have information, but it doesn't necessarily make you good at something. You ever hear the expression, you're book smart, not street smart? That's the idea. You can be book smart, and it's great, and you can pass a lot of tests, and that's really cool. But having all the information, in and of, it's important, but in and of itself, it's not everything. Now music has an intellectual component to it. And you relate to music intellectually on some levels. For example, it's how you remember the words to a song. It's how you remember the names of the song. It's how you remember the form. It is how you place the genre or the time period or whether you like it or not. There is an intellectual experience and there's even some music that's written to be appreciated intellectually. A lot of the music of, say, some of the 20th century com- uh, composers like Milton Babbitt or John Cage. If you ever check out John Cage, like it's designed to be experienced intellectually but ultimately that's not really most of us, most of ours experiences music. Most of us experience music on an intuitive level. So what's intuition? So if you look in the classical Jewish sources, they say intuition, Bina, as opposed to wisdom. Intuition is you have the shopkeeper and he runs a good business beauty is also his business. And uh, he does a great job. And when there's no customers, he doesn't sit there and play solitaire or watch the videos on YouTube. He goes out and he's on the street trying to drum up more business, get more people interested, get more people in the door, the whole nine. But basically, wisdom, underst- I'm sorry, being understanding, it's not just about knowledge, but it's about a deeper level, level of knowledge. It's about getting into the, into the kishkas, getting into the kishkas of the idea. That's how we relate to music. It's like riding a bike or learning how to juggle or hitting a baseball, or making a layup, or doing whatever it is. It's it's something that comes not just through having a cognitive intellectual awareness of it, but it's having a deeper internalized intuitive sense to how it works and how you feel it as well. And you'll notice something that's really interesting. Yeah, you probably notice this. When you look at some great athletes and great musicians, they're not necessarily the greatest coaches and the greatest teachers. Think about that. Because they can do something, and they've internalized it, and they've spent all this time learning up the information, and they've gotten it into the muscles, and it becomes second nature. But when then they have to explain it, some of them are really good at it. But oftentimes, like it becomes into putting these ideas into words, and it's just like, ah, uh, yeah. And then they get frustrated because, like, it's just, it just you just goes like this. You just do it, right? Okay. Anyway, that's the idea. So our relationship to music, ultimately, even though we have a chachma, an intellectual relation to it, ultimately the way we relate and connect to music is intuitive. It's something that gets to us, we feel it in our kishkas, and it moves us, and it speaks to us on a level, that sometimes you have to learn it, true, but ultimately it's speaking to us on a level that goes beyond intellect, and like we saw from the scientists, it's bypassing the way it interacts with our brain, it's bypassing our, our cognitive intellectual centers, and it's speaking to us in some other way. Why is this important? First of all, it's just kind of cool. That's how music works and it's spiritual and mystical and very, very great. But why this is important is because this has the power, this is really the power of music to change your mood and put you in a whole different spiritual space, spiritual space totally different spiritual plan. You see, ultimately, if you think about it, think about your mood. Most of us, even though it's true, you can control your mood and you could be master of your destiny and you can control how you feel. Most of us don't do like that. Most of us, it's like, oh, there's traffic. I'm really mad oh, I won the lottery, I'm so happy, and just we're reactive and we bounce off the walls. Anger, joy, what's that song? Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, joy. (laughs) Who sings that? Oh, it's that song, just, oh, 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 that's right. I forgot all about that. Anyways, but here's the idea. We're like, we're basically told, everybody's ultimately bipolar, bouncing off the walls, constantly just going from one extreme to the next, reacting, reacting, reacting. How do you control a situation? So first of all, just to demonstrate that it's possible to control a situation, something I learned from, my, from one of my teachers, imagine you've got a new car and you're at a red light and you really, like anybody ever get a new car? It's kind of cool when you get a new car and you got, you got a new car. What kind of car did you get? Ooh. Very nice. I got a Hyundai. I got a Hyundai. So I'm really, it's the same kind of thing. What's that? I got the accent. I'm really into it. Anyways, but you get the new car and you're like, I don't want my kids near it because they'll eat it and get jelly on the steering wheel and, you know, there's like all this stuff. But, yeah, you're really neurotic in the new car. So anyways, you got a new car. You're real happy with the new car and you're sitting at a red light. And what happens? You're sitting there at the red light just waiting for the light to turn green so you can drive your new car when suddenly, BAM! somebody whacks you from behind. Now, How do you feel? Mad. So you're starting to brew and you think I'm gonna kill him. Ah, but while you're thinking about just how you're gonna murder this person, he backs up and does it again. Bam! Now how do you feel? Really mad. Steam's coming out of your ears. Beads of sweat are all over your back, your armpits have turned yellow, the whole thing. So you get out of the car, and you storm up to this guy's window and you bang on the window. And the whole time you're going, ah, you! I'm a look-alike geek. I'm a and he rolls down the window and he's sitting there with a machine gun. And he's like, can I help you? So now what do you say? Oh, I'm so sorry. Have a nice day. Sorry's in your way. You know? Anyways, in other words, we have moods and our moods are reactive to situations. But ultimately, when you get a different perspective, you can step out of it and you can change. That's the whole point. Music has the ability, because of the way we interact and relate to music and how we feel music, music sneaks in when you're not expecting it and can totally change your mood. If you really, if you want to really live on a, on a high spiritual level, start your day with a nice piece of music. Listen to a nice song. Get yourself going. If you, if you look in the daily, in the Jewish liturgy, in the daily prayer service, we have a, so, we have a, a daily prayer called Mismor La Soda. a song for Thanksgiving. You look in the code of Jewish law, Supposed to sing it. You're not allowed to just read it. We're, actually, most of us we read it really quickly and mumble through because oh, it's morning and I get on the day. But that's not what Jewish law says. And I'm not quoting from some mystical hairy, Fairy like text. I'm quoting from the code of Jewish law. You're supposed to sing it. Why? To put yourself in the zone. Put yourself in the space if you start yourself singing you start yourself feeling good you start yourself singing off some happy songs it infects you what do they call it? infectious grooves and you feel the infectious grooves and you just start feeling a little bit better you feel happy and you're you're feeling funky and you can you can deal your whole perspective so when the negative nasty thing starts happening true you might react and get into a bad mood but at least you're putting yourself into a good place by the way this is how the world works when you go to a football game what do they do they play March music and to get you psyched, it's like, dun dun, 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 you're like, your whole body's just going, dun, 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 dun. yes, go blue, you know, you're like, it have, they, they get you going, when you go into to war. You want to go kill? They play music to get you all pumped up. You go to a parade. And even when you go to a concert, it's just like, like that's silence. I'm not saying anybody should go out and kill, by the way. But I'm saying when you go to a concert, they don't, you don't sit there in the silent arena. Oh, I hope the band's going to be great, man. They have music playing the whole time to get you psyched, to get you in the right frame of mind, to put you in the zone so when the experience actually happens, you're there, you're ready. That's the power of music. Now, just to be fair, music can take over in a negative way as well. And I don't want to be... I hate it when people always talk about this kind of music's evil and this kind of music's good and this is the devil's. I mean, I hate that. It's subjective. I don't know. I mean, I know, the church back in the uh, Middle Ages said the tritone was the devil's interval. Tritone sounds like this. Anybody know a tritone? Sounds like this. You know. I mean, doesn't that sound great? I mean, that's the introduction to Black Sabbath. It's Jimi Hendrix. You know, I mean, I think it's just a great sound. I mean, I love the tri but The church said it's like devil's... So am I devil worshiper? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a little bit. But the point is... <laughs> the point is that... Heavy metal. But anyways, the point is that... Is that... Even though we could argue about it, this music is evil, this music is good, what's intrinsically Jewish, what's not, whatever, we could have discussions from now until the end of time. Ultimately, there is, we could certainly, I, I hate to use the word objective, so I'm not going to use it, but certainly some music most of us could agree is like aggressively sexual or violent. I think we could probably agree. And that music works just like happy, pleasant, joyful music, and it could take you over. And if you're using music as your excuse to riot, flip over cars, kill people, whatever, and it's like, ah, just the music took over, you know. It's one thing the slam dance in the mosh pit where everybody like knows what they're what they're about. And it's like a badge of honor, you walk out with bruises, you're in pain. Okay, that's one thing. But to take that out into the streets and to get at your aggression on other on innocent people, whatever so that's an unhealthy usage of music, but it's important to keep in mind that it's there, obviously, in aggressively sexual context as well. Music has the power to do that. And we could all name situations that are aggressively sexual because of the type of music that's playing in the beats and the whatever. But ultimately. Even knowing that there is this intrinsic danger in the dark side, ultimately there's a positive, healthy side as well. And we use music in that context. We can use it to grow and to really better ourselves, improve our relationships, and put ourselves in a healthy, positive frame of mind so when we when we go out and we experience the world, we're experiencing it from a state of positivity. Thanks for listening to jpulse.org. You can find this and other great talks on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching Jpulse. pulse